So we are um, in the third week of Advent, and the theme is joy. The Bible tells us that in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. And Psalm 100, you know, enjoins us to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. So in our joyous mood, I want us to give a clap offering to the Lord of hosts. Praise the Lord. So last week, we looked at the character of Joseph and how it played out in the story of the birth of Jesus. And when Pastor Ken, you know, spoke to me about, you know, he asked me what Bible character in the story of the birth of Jesus, you know, appeals to me the most. And... Off the top of my head, I just said the shepherds. And the reason is simple. As a young boy, the Christmas season, you know, is, is quite a favorite one for, for, for all of us. But I remember that, it, you know, growing up, it gave me an opportunity to get to know my grandparents. I spent a lot of time with my grandparents, especially my grandmom. And she had this um, little book of Bible stories that she gifted to me. And I mean, they had so many pictures that explained many stories in the Bible. And that of the birth of Jesus was quite captivating because you had the shepherds out in the field. You had so many bright stars in the skies. And she told the story over and over and over again. So much so that, I mean, if you wake me up at that time, to tell you the story of the birth of Jesus, I will start telling you about the shepherds. So it came quite naturally that that was, you know, the character I chose. And coincidentally, this week is that of the shepherd's candle. And because, you know, the mantra, a picture tells more than a thousand words holds through, we're going to be sharing more than a thousand words on the shepherds this morning. Let us pray. Our Lord and our Father, we thank you even for this gathering. King of glory, ancient of days. The Bible tells us that your word is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. As we delve into your word this morning, Father, we ask, Lord, that you give us direction. We ask that you will speak through us, that your word will impact us. And as we open thou our eyes, O Lord, that we may behold wondrous things out of your word for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So we'll be taking our Bible reading from Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to 20. And I'll read. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. And there were shepherds leading in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause you great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. 
you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Verse 13. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the heavens, and on earth peace be to those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now, um, one of the most compelling parts of the nativity story around the birth of Jesus, you know, involves the people God actually chose to include in the story. God brought Jesus to earth. He did so in an unexpected way, in a band. I mean, who would have thought that? The king of kings in a band. I mean, you had animals, you had dead, you had murky water all around. But that was the place, you know, God decided that he was going to bring his son. And the first people to worship him were not anointed kings like himself. Who were they? The shepherds. And, you know, these were people who received the most powerful news, you know, of mankind as at the time. It is generally considered that the message of Christ's birth was given to the shepherds who at the time were, you know, they were on the lower rungs of the social ladder in the first century. And though shepherding was considered an old profession, but it was one that no one wanted to be, you know, related to. I mean, it was a, it was a profession no one wanted to do at the time. You know, in ancient history, in Egypt, shepherding was considered a dirty job, you know. And according to historian Paul Meyer, Shepherds had a difficult job that earned no rank in society. But guess what? God chose shepherds to receive the glorious angelic announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ. I mean, in today's world, guess who would have broken that news? The likes of CNN, Al Jazeera, Fox News, or CBN. In fact, I personally would have thought it worthy of the Pulitzer Prize of journalism. The question then is, why did Jesus, why did God use lowly shepherds to bring this great news of joy? The answer is simple. The Bible tells us that God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And I have heard you know, people say, oh, that could qualify as an oxymoron. But if we turn to Isaiah 55:8, it ambiguously states that for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, said the Lord. 
So the fact remains that God can use anyone and everyone as he so chooses. You know, God uses ordinary people, just like he used the shepherds, to achieve extraordinary things. Praise the Lord. We are familiar with the story of Moses, correct? Moses was a stammerer. But he was the one God chose to go speak on behalf of the Israelites before Pharaoh. So you can imagine someone who couldn't piece together a sentence without continuously breaking off. But this was a person he chose. And Moses, you know, he recognized his own shortcoming. And he said, oh, Lord, I'm not eloquent. Why would you choose me? I can't even string, you know, sentences together. I mean, look at my brother, Aaron. Go and pick him. He could, I mean, this was someone who had a good command of the language. So why me? But what did God tell him? The Bible says, now, who makes, who maketh man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or the deaf? Or the seen or the blind? Have I not the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. Now, people, every one of us in this congregation, we are a potential vessel for God's use, regardless of our status, regardless of our position, regardless of our wealth. Regardless of our age, praise the Lord. You know, I, when, you, when you hear about the things that God does, I mean, it boggles the mind. And I'll give you a very vivid example. My grandfather, while, I mean, he, was, he had a relationship with God, but somewhere along the line, he lost that relationship because his father before him was into the occult and when he died my grandfather was asked to take his place and he severed his relationship with God and along the line you know he was getting older and my father approached him one of those days and says father why have you lost that relationship you had with your God you introduced me to this God yet you don't have a personal relationship with him. And I think it got my grandfather thinking, and then my grandfather promised my father that he was going to retrace his steps. Now, the day my grandfather went back to church, I mean, this was after almost two decades. He went back to church, right? And because we, we're Anglicans, we're born Anglicans. Now, they, the bell, they, there's a bell that rings at the beginning of the service. And the rumors got around the village that my grandfather was going to church that day. <laughs> Nobody could believe it. Nobody believed it. So guess what? Everybody who heard that news came to church <laughs> to see for themselves. Now, my grandfather went up to the bell and rang the bell several times. And the whole village went, no way. 
But guess what? God said, yes, we. And with that action alone, with that word of mouth, people returned to church because my grandfather retraced his steps. So God can actually use anybody, anyone, to achieve his purpose. Praise the Lord. So, I mean, there is no doubt that um, the shepherds could well, you know, have disobeyed God. They could, they could have done, you know, what they wanted to do against what God wanted them to do. But they acted based on their faith. They had faith in what the angels told them. I mean, like Cuthbert pointed out last week, this was a time when King Herod was really out to ensure that the birth of Jesus did not come to pass. They could easily have, you know, gone to make that known to the, you know, the, the, the state's officials, what they had been told. But they acted in faith, and they, now that faith propelled them to do what they did. And that's the most important thing about faith. Faith doesn't occur just in isolation. The Bible says faith without works is what? Is dead. So they acted on their faith by obeying. Praise the Lord. Which brings me to the, you know, the, the, the crust of the matter. The shepherds showed great obedience. They exemplified this, you know, as they demonstrated an eagerness to embrace the good news as they hurried to find Jesus. Once the angels left, the Bible tells us that the shepherds said, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Luke 2, verse 15. Now, all of us, each and every one of us in this room, we know that we should obey God, correct? Correct? But somehow we act in rebellion as a result of disobedience. So, ask yourself, why is it easy to act, you know, in ways that are contrary to what God wants from us? Could it be that we don't understand the basis of obedience? Maybe, perhaps, we also need help on how to be obedient. You know, one of the Greek mythologies of the word obedience is the idea of positioning oneself under someone by submitting to their authority and to their command. Another use of the word obey by the Greek mythology in the New Testament means to trust. And according to Holman's Illustrated Bible Dictionary, biblical obedience is to hear God's word and to act accordingly. The pertinent question then we should ask ourselves is, why is obedience important with respect to our relationship with God? And if you ask me, I would say obedience to God demonstrates faith. When we obey God, it shows our faith in him. We can be sure that, you know, we know him if we obey his commandments. And that's why the Bible says, without faith, no man can please God. If we claim that, you know, I know God, but we don't obey his commandments, 
The Bible says we make ourselves liars and the truth is not in us. But those of us who obey God's word truly show how completely we love him. And that is why, you know, we know we are living in him. Those who say the living God should live in his, you know, the kind of life as Jesus did. And that is why Jesus is the perfect model of obedience. As his disciples, we are meant to follow that example. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Secondly, God rewards obedience. Yes? Do you believe that God rewards obedience? Praise the Lord. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. Genesis 22:18. Luke 11:28. Jesus said, "But even more blessed are all those who hear the word of God and put it into practice." But don't just listen to God's words. You must do what he says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is glancing at your face in a mirror. You see for yourself, you walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, don't forget what you have heard. Then God will bless you doing it. James 1, 22 to 25. Now, you see, the thing about obedience is it's, it's, it's so easy. It's, I mean, it can't be that difficult, yeah? And I'll give you a perfect example. After the birth of Jasmine, you know, I and Lillian were trying for a second child. In fact, before we got married, we had decided that we'd have just two kids. Unfortunately, you know, she got pregnant almost immediately, but the pregnancy became ethopic. I mean, it almost cost her life. And she had to go for surgery, and the pregnancy was taken away. And then the wait started. First year, second year, and all through this period, we were just trying all the things we could, you know, humanly possible, fertility drugs, fertility clinics, reading up stuff on the internet, and all that. However, there was one important thing that was missing, obedience to God. We, 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 we really did not you know, rely on God. We were relying on ourselves. And at some point, you know, there was a day during our daily prayer on a, on a weekend, she said to me, oh, why is God treating us this way? You know, why, why can't we conceive? And I'm like, sweet, how old was Sarah when she gave birth? You know, and she answered me. I said, how many children did she give birth to? She answered me. And I said, look, if God has ordained that Jasmine is the only child we would have, that so be it. You don't have to grieve yourself. You don't have to flog yourself for it. You did not create yourself. So, I mean, it is not in your hands. And then we decided to hand over everything to God. That is when we put God, you know, at the poor point of that situation. We just left everything. And guess what? 
She started complaining about feeling sick after the third year, and we went to the hospital. I mean, this was when she had thrown away all the fertility drugs and all that, you know. We had just invested ourselves in God. The Bible says we should put our trust in God because the arm of flesh will do what? It will fail us. The arm of flesh had failed us first year, second year, third year. This was going on to the fourth year. We went to the clinic. The doctor took all the tests. And then she said one more thing. She said, oh, I'm going to include a pregnancy test. And Lillian just, you know, she laughed in a very scornful way, as in, okay, welcome. <laughs> you can, you can, you're welcome to my party. And when the results came back, the doctor was like, oh, you don't have malaria, you don't have typhoid fever, or your, your blood count is okay. But there's one more thing. Congratulations, you're pregnant. And Lillian just got down on her feet. I mean, this is what obedience to the word of God can do. Praise the Lord. In the Bible, I mean... So, I mean, we, there are so many other examples. Abraham, Isaac, and their children, they enjoyed God's blessings because of obedience. David even, though he made mistakes, I mean, who doesn't? Which of us doesn't have mistakes? But he was called a man after God's heart, and God blessed him, you know? And for the youth amongst us, you might think, okay, what is it? What is in it for me? There is so much in it for you. And I'll tell you how. Ephesians 6, 1 to 3, it tells us, honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And what's that promise? So that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. You can catalog all the commandments, but you see, that one that dwells on, on, on obedience is the one that has that promise. And why wouldn't you want a long life? Why wouldn't you want things to be well with you? I doubt there is a greater motivation to obedience to God than that. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The third point, disobedience leads to sin and death. I mean, the first instance of rebellion against God, Adam and Eve, correct? It was disobedience. And through their disobedience, the Bible says sin was brought into the world and death through sin. So you can imagine that, you know, I mean, some of us would say, oh, damn Eve, if she hadn't done what she did. But then again, she chose to do what she did. So at the end of the day, it is a matter of choice. You know, look at Moses. I had mentioned him earlier. He was chosen by God to do a great thing. But he did not see that thing to the end. God made ensured that he he he, he saw the promised land, but he did not set foot on it. Why? Because he disobeyed. Praise the Lord. So how do we achieve this obedience? The shepherds, they showed us how. 
they practiced faith. They acted on their faith. I mean, these were people who, they could easily have said, oh, we cannot leave our flock. Anything could happen to this flock. Find someone else to do your bidding. But they didn't do that. There was no excuse. They joyfully took on that responsibility. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. So we could achieve obedience by developing a relationship with God. God says, it is not my desire for any of you to perish, but for you to come to repentance. I mean, he has laid the precedence, the foundation for that relationship. That's why he gave his only begotten son to come and die for our sins. Praise the Lord. So we should decide to honor God with our decisions and by doing what he tells us. Our primary motive for obedience must be to please God because we love him. He has shown his own. I mean, I usually tell my children, our relationship with God is a, it shouldn't be a parasitic one. It should be a symbolic one. Give and take. God has given us everything we could ever ask for. The fact that he gave his only begotten son shows his intent and his purpose for us. He says, I know the plans I have for you. They are plans of good and not of evil. Plans to bring each and every one of us to an expected end. And we now have to play our part to ensure that that end is not truncated by any way, manner, or form. Praise the Lord. So it's, it's easy you know, to do something when we do it out of love. God is not, he's not, he's not pushing us into compulsion. You know, we have to do it because we love God. Now, have you noticed how a man behaves when he's in love with a woman? I can tell you. I mean, it seems like you're going crazy. You can go to the ends of the world. When I fell in love with Lillian, I mean, it was the most beautiful thing ever. You, there are no words enough to explain it. Praise the Lord. You know? And in the last 17, 18 years we've been married, it's been, I mean, so many experiences, but I think off the top of my head, I can remember one. She was coming back from work, and I think her, her place of work is like a 15-minute drive from our house way back in Nigeria. But Lagos, being a cosmopolitan city that it is, sometimes you have these very bad gridlocks. I mean, these gridlocks can last for five, six hours. People get to their houses 12 a.m., 1 a.m. When they close at 6, it is that bad. So she was driving back from work that day, and it happened to be one of those days. And she called me. Each time I call her, oh, sweet, where are you? She says, oh, I've gotten to this point. Next time I call, an hour, 30 minutes, oh, I've gotten to this point. And it was just a crawl. And at a point about 10, 30, 11-ish, I called her, where are you, sweet? She says, oh, I've gotten here, but I am so tired. My legs are aching, and I don't think I can drive anymore. 
And I looked at the Uber maps. I couldn't get any vehicle getting out because, I mean, no driver would even want to come and pick you because there was no movement. And then the bikes had been, you know, they had been abolished at the time, so it was not even possible for me to take a bike. So I put on my, my clothes, chained from my pajamas, and put on my clothes, and I took a walk. The distance I walked that night was like from here to almost um, probably Portage, if I'm not exaggerating. So why did I do that? I could easily have said, oh, okay, you can manage, or just park the car and find your way. But I couldn't, for the life of me, hear, you know, the, the, the sadness in her voice spurred me to take that decision. And that's because of the love I felt and I still feel for her. Praise the Lord. So if we love God, we should be able to do anything and everything to ensure that we show that love. Praise the Lord. So going ahead from that, how do we show obedience? By reading the Bible every day as a primary basis for our decisions. You know, the Bible for me is like a compass. Those in business will, will tell you when they go into a business venture, there is a, um, what's it called now? There's a business plan. So the business plan tells you what to do, how to do it, and how to go about doing it. It gives you a projection. Now the Bible is like our business plan for our relationship with God. And that's why Joshua, in Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from my mouth, but I shall meditate on it, how? Day and night, which will bring me to observing to do all that is written in it. For then I will make, it will make me prosperous and I will have good success. If we have to be successful in our relationship with God, there is no shortcut to it. There are no ifs, no buts. The Bible is the only way. Praise the Lord. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. And finally, through prayer. You know, when Pastor, um, Pastor Ron said, when we pray, something always happens. It couldn't be further away from the truth. We always have something magical happening when we pray. I mean, uh, there's a song that says prayer is the key. Prayer is the master key. Jesus started with prayer and ended with prayer. And there's a reason for that. There is power in prayer. That's why, you know, God says that we should make our supplications known unto him with prayer and what? Thanksgiving. Praise the Lord. And how can we forget, you know, the disposition of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? This was the point. He's, he, one of his lowest points in his life. But what did he do? He turned to prayer and he says, not my will, but thy will be done. Prayer will always make us, you know, sensitive to God's word and will help us to hear his voice and know exactly what we must do. And as I round up, you know, this is a season of joy, merriment, and, you know, we engage in so much enjoyment. I mean, 
the, the feel-good vibes of Christmas is so all-encompassing. But God has set that tone for us. He says, this shall bring you great joy. And he has given us the best gift we would ever ask for. The question I want to ask each and every one of us, what are we giving back to God through this joy he has blessed us with? The Bible says that he will make our joy full. And I pray that in this season, that our joy will be full and running over in the name of Jesus. Christ described himself as a good shepherd. Therefore, I enjoin each and every one of us to take a leaf, even from the shepherds, their obedience, their faith, and lastly, the joy that they exuded in carrying out the responsibility that was vested on them by the angels. We can do it if only we decide to. And I pray that God will instill in us that joy that will make us have that relationship with him to spread his good news in the name of Jesus.